Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Spodcast. I'm Josh Veal. With me here is Chris. Hello. And Alex. Yo. We've got a pretty casual, laid-back podcast. We've got kind of an agenda, but uh, not too much, and we'll just kind of explore what we got and see where it takes us. Um, not a lot of news this week, so we're just going to talk about uh, stuff we want to talk about. Let's lead off with uh, Chris. You've been playing a bunch of Splatoon. I have. Well, Splatoon 2 specifically, but yes. Is there really that much of a difference? It's on a different platform and there's slightly new levels. Yeah. Have you tried the it's voice kind of a... communication stuff? No, God. No. First of all, no one else I know owns the game, so that that is helping um, with it's me avoiding on that. My list, it's but on also a bunch of um, games. I I would sooner just hop in vent or hop in Discord chat with people than I would use that Frankenstein's monster of a conversation system. I I, I don't I, even I... like looking forward to the friend matchmaking system that whatever they made for Nintendo. I do wonder if anyone is actually using it. I have to assume someone is. Uh, I I don't know who. I just really want to know what that experience is like. Through someone else's. <laughs> I don't want to do it myself, but I want to. I hear was going to say how painful it is. We should do a stream of that, but then I thought, wait a minute, how is this going to work with also trying to record all of this shit? And then I just said, you know what? No, let's not do that. Let's never do that. Plus, it's Nintendo stuff, and streaming Nintendo stuff is always a pain. Anyway, it's it's Splatfest, and that's really the reason I'm excited about playing Splatoon right now, is it's the first Splatfest of, of Splatoon 2. So yay, Splatfest! Ketchup versus mayo. It's, I, y- yeah, um, I, I don't see it that way. Mostly I see it as just people having strong opinions about mayonnaise. I don't think anyone cares about ketchup, one way or the other. But people either really love or absolutely hate but do you love ketchup? Because people love or they hate mayonnaise. But ketchup is everyone's I consider like, oh, ketchup I... pretty indispensable as a, con- a condiment. I almost said communist there. Uh, what am I even doing? I mean, it is red, but I take your point. <laughs> I like mayo. I think mayo is great. I don't understand why everybody hates mayo. Well, in this game, you have to choose between ketchup and mayo. And if you had to choose, and if you... I mean, you just said you'd choose ketchup over mayonnaise, so... No, I said I care about ketchup, but I didn't say I'd choose ketchup over mayonnaise. You, you said you cared Mayo about ketchup a great deal. Mayo is pretty indispensable, too, said it was indispensable. actually. They're both indispensable. It's like mayo, so, ketchup, mustard to an extent. So how I... I, I don't really care. Like... I, I like mayo on some things, and I like ketchup on other things, so this decision was really hard. And so what I had to do was ruminate over, like, not which oh, one no, I like more. Overcome but... by apathy. <laughs> I, I had to decide which one, not so much I liked more, but which one I couldn't do without more. And after thinking on it a very long time, I realized about the only thing I really use ketchup for is uh, fries, and it's delicious on fries, and I love it on fries. But I put, I can put mayo on a cheeseburger, but then I also like dipping um, fries in that horseradish sauce from Arby's, the horsey sauce, and that's basically mayonnaise and uh, horseradish. So I can put fries in mayo, and I can put mayo on a burger, so it has more uses, therefore it wins. Is is that sane, or am I awful? Sounds like a lot of thinking and hubbub to go about what seems like just a very simple thing to me. I don't understand this whole, like phenomenon i mean have you met I mean, campster i was gonna say overthinking things is kind of is my wheelhouse um, but i feel like in general people are just making a big like fuss about this and i i don't understand uh they kind of make it an event um i mean literally is an event it lasts like 24 hours Part of what makes it an event is that, um, like, they change the entire look of the ta- of the lobby you default start in, and they give you a week to like choose your side and come up with a shirt. 
or not come up with a shirt, but but get the shirt that you can then level up because all the items in Splatoon give you perks. So after a week of leveling up your shirt and getting ready for this big event, uh, finally they have a big concert in the middle of the lobby where the two ladies that everyone draws fan art of are out and singing, and it's like nighttime all day now, and it's a big to do and and Nintendo kind of turns it into an event and I don't know if Mayo versus Ketchup is meaningful but the fact that Nintendo is trying to make it meaningful makes it meaningful if that makes any sense right. I mean I, th- yeah, I guess it is a little more than just like a voting like a poll voting because that's what I thought it was it's just like just vote on a, in a no, poll it's... or something it's it's an event, and then also just to make this extra gross, uh, in the matches while you're doing the Splatfest, both sides ink is the color of the condiment of choice. So it's like oh, yellowy yeah. white and and Fire. deep red. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> Jesus, uh, my mind's going to places that. Uh, well, we definitely should explore at some point, but maybe not right now. What? Uh, don't encourage. No. Was that not your first thought? No, no, it's just gross to be smearing mayonnaise all over the ground and then have ketchup come oh, and run over That's not what it. I was thinking about. Yeah, mixing mayo and ketchup's weird. What? It's that's pink my favorite and it's sauce. Gross. Oh, yeah. it's so gross. Have you never had Thousand Island dressing? It's got little bits of Ghibli. Who do, knows do you know what's, what's what Thousand it? Island is? It has that's fucking mayonnaise and ketchup. Yeah, but there's like it's little enhanced. pickles or relishy bits, or it's awful. Yeah, you got pickle relish. And, and it's on the floor uh-huh. in the game. In exactly, the now it's on the floor. You have to swim through it. Man, I need to pick this game up. It, I think you would like the horde mode. I, I will say that. It's basically a procedurally generated Destiny mini-strike. Um, but oh, you, you would also hate the horde mode. Because it's not always open, and that would just infuriate the shit out of you. Oh, I'm interesting. sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. I think the mode you would get the most kick out of. It's basically four players all going in, and each round you get a random weapon. Each round, a random environmental modifier changes the layout of the level, and there are random bosses that each have to be killed in different ways. Sometimes by shooting them in certain places. Sometimes by throwing grenades into open holes. Sometimes by just doing enough damage fast enough at a certain time. Um, so they're all very sort of Destiny mini-boss approaches to how you fight things. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's basically a mini-Destiny strike, and I think you would like that a lot. Um, and there's only currently two maps for it. I'm assuming there's going to be more released, but it's pretty cool. Oh, man. Destiny cool. 2 comes out in a month. Really? I am looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. At least on the, on the PS4 and Xbox One, which is probably the platform Chris and I are going to play it on. Um... God. The, the Windows pressure. release doesn't come out until the 24th of October. That, that's like a month and a half. Jeez. Yeah. That's not too it's, bad. It's almost two months after the, the launch of the console versions. And they're still doing the exclusivity deal with Sony, so the PS4 is going to have exclusive strikes, or at least timed exclusive strikes that take like two years for them to unlock on other platforms. So, nah. You know, I'd like to play it on the PC, but it's not sounding like a great value proposition right now. And besides, uh, Destiny is a really good console shooter. Like, it's really fun to play with a gamepad, so... Uh, I, I have a list of games that I want to buy and play, and Splatoon is, like, on that. It's pretty high on there, but there's so many games on that list. Uh, so many games have come out in the, over the past, like, three weeks. Like, I want to play Pyre. Haven't gotten around to that. Um... I only just got around to playing Tacoma. Uh, I'm playing through the long, dark story mode and haven't finished that yet, uh, even though that came out a week ago. Um, just all kinds of stuff. Anything and interesting some, in that and stuff? Then, and then Destiny 2 comes out in a month. And I bought a bunch of games on the, the fucking Steam sale. Uh, like, I need to finish Beat Cop. That's a really fun game. I want to play Hollow Knight. Like just, I know uh, some of those words. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all this shit. Uh, it's like November, except I'm not getting free games for my birthday. Anyway, Alex, why don't we talk about uh, something you want to talk about? What you, what you've been up to? Sure. I've been playing a lot of Fortnite. 
I managed to snag one of the keys because they've been kind of floating around the streamverse on Twitch. And right, it's so, really so... cool. Cause... Oh, sorry. Well, maybe I... you can, like, um, <laughs> a- a- answer a few questions that I have um, about yes. Fortnite. And I'm a little confused. What the fuck is this game? That's a great question because um, I'll preface this by saying that I was exposed to this game through streamers and it seems like they're really trying to push like the Twitch connectivity, which is really cool. Um, But when you watch a stream and you kind of just drop into like someone playing this game, it is very confusing. And like, I don't, I like to think I'm fairly game literate. I feel like I don't look at a video game and being like, what's going on? I don't get any of this. But like, I very much felt like that when people are building things and then they're shooting things and then they're hitting pinatas and then there's like five different inventories. And so I was like really unsure about this game. But the tutorials are excellent, I'd like to think. Besides some of like the UI design, I think that the tutorials do a very, very good job of explaining how this game works. Um, so basically it's like a multi-tiered tower defense game, but with a resource collection stage and then a building stage, including building like structures, um, and traps. And then the last stage is kind of a like horde, like orcs must die sort of, um, gameplay where you're just, you get zombies that spawn and, go through your base and you have to shoot them and then you get loot at the end and complete the mission. And there's some variance to this, but that's generally the game. It's sort of Sanctum-esque? Sort of. It's more open world than Sanctum is. Okay, yeah. But it's that sort of thing of like, oh, it's a tower defense game, but you've got like, you know, you're running around as a character in it rather than being some. Yeah, you ha- there's different classes. Overhead camera god. Yeah, so there's like classes with different abilities, and there's a whole mm-hmm. combat system with different weapons and crafting. So you can craft like new weapons or like different kinds of traps. It does sound interesting. So there's a bit of inventory management. That does not sound interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> depending on what you like, how much you want to put into it, but it's um I really like it because it's not like super complex. I think they simplify building. It's not like Minecraft where you just like you could like create cr- crazy like castles and things like that, but you know, it doesn't really need to be that. Right. And they're being really transparent about what the release schedule is like for that game. So the first year, it's like the keys are going around or it's like $40 or whatever. And then they've already said it's going free to play in a year. And so you can wait. Oh, that's interesting. It's nice to know. Yeah. Um, So so is is it any good? Is it any good, Alex? Yeah, I really like it. I mean, I didn't pay for it, right? So maybe if I paid $40, <laughs> I'd be like, mm, was it worth the money or not? But it's co-op, and um, it's a really, like, polished-looking game. Like, it's got... The graphics are really nice. It's got that, like, Overwatch-style, like, Pixar-esque. Um, I find, right. like, the shooting and the movement is really clean, and the building. So... Like it's it's definitely like a solid game that I like I would pay money for, not like one of those cheaper like free to play like oh like, you know. So, what's the business model for the free to play once it goes free to play? If it's, is it just cosmetic stuff or? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I know that right now like they're giving out founders items. So, like, weapons and... Well, they're pinatas, which is, like, their loot box system. So you can get founders pinatas, and they have, like, I guess, special weapons and things like that. I don't know if they're necessarily, like, really OP or, like, they're just labeled that way for status. Um, But that's the only thing I know as far as, like, what people are getting now that they won't get later. 
And it's multiplayer only, right? There's no single player component at all? Um, actually, I don't know. I think you can do some of the, the missions. Some of the missions I've done um, are single player. I don't know if I'm still in the tutorial, though. But I think there's been options where I can um, look for friends or not. Uh, that's the other thing, too, is you get your own little base that you can build up. And every time you want to make your base bigger, you have to fight off a horde. So, like, you have to, like, fortify that, too. But I haven't done a lot with that yet. Is it, like, a multiplayer co-op? Or, like, is there multiplayer versus or what? Um, I've done the... I think it's only co-op right now from my, what I've played. Um mm-hmm. And it's actually also really good about, like, trolling, because, like, the first thing I did was try and box people in. Um, But there's, like, a way you can, like, stop people from building in your base if you don't want them to. Or, like, um, you can get out of, like, people being trolls. So, like, it it seems to be very, like, multiplayer co-op focused. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, it does sound interesting. Maybe we should, like... I should pick it up or find someone with a key and knock them out and steal it. Uh, and and uh, maybe do a stream thing or something, do a hangout with it. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. Campster can come too. Begrudgingly. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I... I... It's also a game that launches from the Epic Launcher, which after playing the Quake beta that has a Bethesda launcher, I'm really, really Epic sick of an, an, any Ubisoft game using it. Yeah. Yes, everybody uh, is doing this now, and it's just awful. Uh, I'm not a fan of it either. I've uh, been playing Paragon. It also Paragons. means that a lot of these games aren't going to be on Steam. Sorry. Oh, I've been, I've been already playing Paragon, so I already had um, an Epic Games like account. But, like, if I didn't, I'd be like, oh, am I really going to do this? I mean, all the Uplay games are on Steam, so I don't think that's necessarily a factor that definitely keep these games off Steam. Especially, like, in Epic's case. Like, who wants to go to the Epic store to buy stuff? I mean, it's not on Steam now, as far as I know. Yeah, that's true. Epic has Unreal... Fortnite, Shadow Complex, Paragon, and then a modding section for Ark, Conan, Exiles, Robo Recall, Squad, I've never heard of that, and VR Funhouse. It's weird. You know you want to go to the VR Funhouse. It actually looks absolutely frightening. It's full of clowns. Something I'd never want to experience in VR. Like Nightmare Rec Room? It's rec room. It's like a carnival. Clowns. It it looks absolutely horrifying. Wait, do you have a VR headset? I do not, but my um, office has the VR Ah. stuff. So yeah, that's Fortnite. It's weird that their launcher doesn't have any Gears of War stuff in it. Because that's all done through the Windows Store. That's. I think Microsoft still owns that IP. Yeah, My, Epic hasn't even been making the last couple of them. Have they not? Um, I, uh, they were still I know involved. the F, Gears Four wasn't. Uh, the The latest one may have been Epic, but I know Gears the the one that was like a side story with the judge and the court. Huh. Let me look it up real quick. Anyway, while I'm looking that up, one thing I would point out is um, I just went to the Fortnite website. I'm surprised there isn't a way to uh, buy, like, a four-pack or something the way you would normally do for a game that has a multiplayer focus. Instead, it's just layers of, um, tiers of stuff. Like, how how much do you want to invest in the future of, of this game through spending more money for exclusive items? So there's, like, a $40 entry level, the $60 starter pack, the... $40 for the standard, 60 for deluxe, uh, 90 for super deluxe, and $150 for the limited edition that gives you exclusive skins and exclusive weapons and other But there's no way to get like a, hey, I'd like to me and my plans, friends to play this, can we get like the game for $30 each and, or something? 
which is weird to me for a multiplayer game. I haven't seen many bundles like that recently with new games, actually. It would have been really nice to have a four-pack. Like oh, I was wrong. The Gears of War Judgment was done by Epic Games with additional work by People Can Fly. Alright, I'm crazy. Ignore me. Oh, wait, no, I'm wrong. The latest Gears of War... Okay, so Judgment <laughs> was done by Epic in collaboration with People Can Fly. The latest one, Gears of War 4, was done by The Coalition. Oh, The the Coalition. Who are a... a uh, Formerly called Zipline Studios um, uh, or Microsoft Game Studios Vancouver. They're a Vancouver-based game company. I don't think they have anything directly to do with that. Canadians. Oh, what did we do now? Made Gears of War 4. Oh. Is that all? I hear that was pretty okay. Uh, I played through Tacoma, but I don't think we want to talk about that yet because that game just came out and there's like, you know... It's hard to talk about the game without spoilers. Uh, aside from saying it's it's pretty cool, I liked it. Um, uh, I I liked it, but I have things, I have reservations and things to say about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll we'll probably talk about it. that next week. I think give people a little more time to play through it because um, I don't think Alex has played through it either. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, The Long Dark came out of early access, and the first two episodes of the five-episode story mode are here after dragging their feet for, like, five years, uh, and they aren't all that great, Aww, which is really disappointing, because... I... Okay. What? It, were they supposed... Like, I, I never got the impression that this was going to be a narrative game, so it always surprised me when they came out with a, a it... story expansion. It, like the story stuff was heavily emphasized in the initial Kickstarter, and then like, but but they always said they were going to do the sandbox stuff first as like a test bed for the story stuff, and then the sandbox kind of took off and was its own thing, and they kept like delaying the story stuff. I think like they originally were planning like the original Kickstarter pitch said like, uh, you know, first episode of the the story stuff is going to be like Q3 2015. And uh, that did not happen. Um, so uh, like there, there are elements to the story stuff that I like. Um, I'm like 75% of the way through the uh, first episode. Like, the narrative stuff is cool, and having context to doing the sandbox stuff is cool. Like, you're basically in sandbox mode, um, but you're in a custom map, and you've got, like, narrative stuff, and your character actually says things. Um, and that's, you know, I, I dig all that. The problem is, I don't, they really doubled down on their really shitty fucking video game monster wolves. Um, oh, man. Like, so you, you start the game out and you're in a ravine and you spend some time there uh, healing up from being in a plane crash. Then you leave the ravine and you end up in basically a, like, four or five kilometer long box canyon uh, that's pretty much, like, there are points where you can kind of veer off to one path or the other path inside the box canyon. And that's about as, as non-linear as it gets. So you've got pretty much just a straight shot through this box canyon um, for four or five kilometers. Uh, and there are about like five or six fucking wolves in that Canyon. Um, and the wolves in this game have always been kind of a point of contention because they're, as I said, video game monster, they're called zombies by the player base to give you an idea of how the wolves behave, which is to say that they see you lock onto you and then attack you, uh, without very much variation in that. And, uh, Oh, man, that's, like... I've always been annoyed with that with The Long Dark, because I feel like everything else about The Long Dark, the the way that it's balanced, um, like, having to survive against the elements, um, having to get food, uh, and having all these sort of, like, more passive systems that um, encourage you to do things that you would normally actually do in a survival situation have been compelling enough to me that I don't feel like they need these fucking video game monsters roaming around, uh, you know, hunting you down and killing you in ways that, A, real-life wolves do not do. Um, you know, like, I had a situation in the story mode where I came up to a wolf 
eating a freshly killed deer and you know so it's got its kill it's got its food it's fine i walked within 20 feet of it and it looks straight at me and rushes me and it's like what so you you killed a deer you've got the deer as food but you really need to attack a human because you need more food uh that doesn't make any sense um now admittedly you know you i You'd think Kona would have prepared you for that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, at least it's not a ghost wolf that is made of snow. You're right. It's not that. And this game is better than Kona in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, uh, the the wolves have always kind of sucked in, in the game. And uh, I haven't played the sandbox mode in about a year. I'd heard there had been improvements to wolf behavior and that the wolves would, like, you know, kind of form up into groups and stalk you around until you're weak and then attack you. But that doesn't really happen in uh, in the story mode anyway. Now, admittedly, I, I made a stupid mistake and I was carrying around some, uh, some guts that I'd harvested from, uh, a dead deer. Um, and like that apparently makes the wolves really interested in you cause they can smell it. Um, but frankly, like I, I like I've, been reading posts on the subreddit and a lot of the posts are like what the fuck is up with these wolves so i'm not sure that's like a big deal uh or that was like as big a factor as like maybe i wish it were so it's just like it i don't have a problem with the wolves being enemies that you have to deal with my problem is that they decided to put the most like dumb-headed difficulty spike enemy placement by just dumping a bunch of these wolves in a box canyon where you don't have a lot of options to avoid them. Um, and you don't get weapons, as far as I can tell, in the first uh, the first um, episode. So your, your only options are to pretty much like go into the melee fight thing where they will do a lot of damage to you and you may potentially do enough damage to kill them, uh, which is not a great option, or carry around a bunch of torches and flares and hope that you can throw them at them and that they'll run away, which sometimes works. I don't, I, I just, I don't understand everything. I know about the long dark came from our playthrough of it way back yeah. when is it like a 20 minutes with or whatever. And it was the Christmas. It seems like episode. a game so focused. I can't believe you know that from memory. Um, but we, 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 uh, I, I remember seeing a lot of really interesting systems about survival and keeping warm and keeping yourself fed. It was basically like don't starve, but less goofy and Tim Burton-y and a little bit more just like raw survivor yeah. skills. You know, bear grills, drink your own pee kind of stuff. And uh, I, I like you, me some less Stroud personally. I, I'm trying. But... I, I don't have a strong opinion on survival-y people. I, I just... I just knew that it was like systems driven survival stuff. And I, I still am struggling to picture how you make a narrative out of that. Like, because basically you're, you'd have to do what you're saying, which is put them in a box Canyon and say, March North or whatever way the Canyon leads, even if it's windy and try not to die with a preset list of assets and challenges ahead of you. Whereas the game is so much more interesting as a sort of like, you're in the middle of the woods. You don't know where you are. You know it's a random part of this park and it's a giant open world and everything's connected and find a place to hole up and get warm and then try to survive for as long as you can as long as resources hold out. And to me that's way more interesting than forcing you down a canyon. So what what is makes the narrative worth cutting out so much of that interesting stuff mechanically? Like is it actually any good? I mean, is it like it doesn't I mean, you're, cut you're saying out, it doesn't play good because of wolves, it, but it doesn't cut out like the the mechanical bits of survival. Um like that's all still there and and you don't necessarily have to like once you get out of the box canyon stuff opens up a bit more and you've got more options to kinda kinda play your way. Um So like that's all there. My issue is that it kinda like hyper focuses on the the enemy encounter stuff, which has always been the weakest part of the game, in my opinion, um, because of the way it's just like chock full of fucking wolves everywhere. Well, and I think Kona minus like when you're not doing the wolves thing is how you narrativize like survival is you're like your car's broken down and you're in a town 
that's been abandoned and it's like what do you do in that situation and like there's a mystery on top of it and that's really cool and i think that works really well but when you're just kind of like well you're here now in the forest and but it's not really a forest because it's like a straight path and you have to do these very specific things for some reason yeah, yeah. Uh, the the big advantage of having the narrative is like adding context to why you're in the middle of the Canadian wilderness of the Canadian wilderness in the middle of winter dying. <laughs> um uh and, and and to that extent like it's it's a nice change from the the sandbox stuff which is very uh much like there's no story, there are no other characters, it's just you in a great big uh open world area and you got to find ways to survive. Um I will say some of the narrative stuff that I've been getting into in the like the second half of the first episode is kind of kind of goofy. Uh, you run into this old blind lady in a house who is um, excessively cantankerous and talking like a crazy person. And then after you get through the initial introductory uh, cutscene, it goes into a dialogue mode where there is no voice acting and it's all in text. And like... I'm not sure what happened to their like did they run out of money did they did the sag afra strike like steal all the voice actors like what's going on here um but like that's kind of kooky and then like she goes and tells you like go get 50 firewood uh which is not a great way to contextualize your survival in a survival situation so I don't know uh we'll see what like where that goes from there uh I just, like, I got so turned off by the, like, wolves constantly being, like, everywhere and my and having to constantly, like, worry about, like, oh, am I going to walk this way and there's going to be a wolf there? Well, that fucking sucks. Sometimes you just don't want a game with combat I, in your face I died, all the time. like, four or five times in two hours, and that was, that was kind of lame. Um, we got anything else we want to talk about or we want to jump into some mailbag? No, I'm fine with whatever. You can do mailbag. Alright, uh, we have a number of questions that kind of, um, built up over the past couple of weeks that we haven't been doing mailbag. Um, if you guys see one that you have, you, know, you really want to just, um, highlight it with your text selection, um, in the meantime... Uh, let's go for this one. Uh, Dear Spoiled Cast, I believe you guys stated that you're eventually going to do Dishonored 2. When you guys do, are you going to do a fresh campaign or New Game Plus so you can show off both Emily's and Corvo's powers? Second question, Blink or Far Reach? I prefer Blink. Cheers, Maddie won Monopoly. So the answer to your question, uh, Maddie, is, uh, wait until tomorrow... (laughs) Because, uh, hey, spoilers, we, we just recorded that, like, t- 20 minutes ago. Uh, so, Dishonored 2 will be starting, uh, presumably, the day after this goes up. Uh, as to your second question, uh, I like Blink better, but I like playing as Emily better, so... I need to use Far Reach more to really get a feel for it. Um, I think I... Really what I like is Dowd's Blink, yeah. um, with the time with... freeze, but... Corvo's blink turns into Dowd's blink. Like there's an upgrade power. Yeah, I know, it. but but there's also the original blink. Yeah. But... OG blink. Really? Wow. No. That's hardcore. No, I didn't play Dishonored Blink. I just wanted to say that. From what my experience has been using Far Reach, it's not the best at detecting surfaces. It's finicky and like it has a kind of cool like you can probably traverse levels like under optimal conditions faster with far reach because it has the spider-man thing where you can like swing from it to overshoot where the initial like blink was to where blink is just like a teleport um but that's really finicky in itself and it doesn't control all that great so eh. it does have the thing where you can grab people though 
That's true. That's the one thing that makes Far Reach kind of cool is you could just fling people. Let's do another one here. Dear Rutzcast, it's been five years since Broken Age kicked off the Kickstarter trend, and we've seen both the successes like Undertale and disasters like the Mighty Number no. Nine's fiasco. How do you feel about the whole enterprise? What's the last thing you backed, and are you likely to back again? Love, Rutstifer. Rutzgarn and I do the fusion dance. <laughs> or maybe that's the earrings one. I don't know. Um, The last game I backed was... It's hard to keep track, because it's like release or like the one that I'm still waiting for. So like the latest release yeah. is Ukulele. And I think like another one that I backed around that time was the um, Castlevania successor. So I'm that's not out yet. Um, and I'm kind of getting burnt out on Kickstarter. I there's cool stuff that's coming out, and I'm more likely to just wait and see at this point and spend the extra like ten bucks when I know for sure it's going to be good. Um, I was really bummed about ukulele and that seemed like the stars were aligning on that project. And, um, you know, how could it be wrong if everybody's doing exactly what they want to do and the original people are there. And so like, it's that, and it's just, I think it's overwhelming to look at Kickstarter because there's just so much stuff there. And like, it's, if I have money to burn, which will be like, never, then maybe I'll be in like, what kind of enterprise shall I, like Dragon's Den, you know, like what, what, what will I back today? But now yeah. it's just like, I have no idea. And it just, I don't have time or money to just sit around and look through all the stuff. If you don't mind a quick tangent, what went wrong with ukulele? Cause I haven't played it. And like, I really liked Banjo-Kazooie, but I'm also like, I have trouble getting into new cutesy games, I guess. So, like, the idea of, like, here's generic off-brand Banjo-Kazooie characters is like, eh. So, I think, like, my biggest thing, um, and I haven't played since, like, they've patched a little bit, but, like, the my main issue was the camera controls, first of all, which is, like, essential to any 3D platform, in oh, my boy. opinion. And I know they fixed that a little bit. Um, and then the second one is being that the worlds were pretty, like, generic and, like, not really fleshed out and full of stuff. Um, and I'm a huge, like, Banjo fan and, like, Rare fan and, like, I had high expectations. But, like, you go into a world and it's, like, half-themed and the theme is a big part of the levels where it's like, this is the Christmas level and all the snow people are running around and you do you do tobogganing and it's just fully fleshed out and this is more just like tile set with palm tree and that's like the wow, one world that, type thing that is not something I'd expect like the rare devs to mess up yeah it's just I... uh, go ahead Chris. no I was going to say I'm, I'm in the minority that likes it I think in part because I never really played a ton of Banjo-Kazooie as a kid um, my my love for rare collectathons began and ended with uh, Diddy Kong or Donkey Kong Country Two, and I played a little bit of um, of Banjo Kazooie, but it, my I I actually really like ukulele because it very much is just Banjo Kazooie again. And as a as somebody who doesn't keep old consoles around, I don't have like uh, I can't go play Super Mario Sunshine. I don't have a Wii anymore. I can't go play Mario sixty four. Um, unless I find my Wii U, wherever the hell that piece of crap is. Um, I, I, I wanted a, a, a 90s platformer to be able to reach back into my childhood, and this is basically that all over again. Um, good and bad. It's got all the bad parts. There's a lot of, okay, where the hell is the next mission? I don't know where to go. There's a lot of, um, I think Alex is right insofar as there's a lot of, I'm running around in this level, and now I'm running around in this level, but it's the spooky forest! And now I'm running around in this level, and it's the winter version! Um, mm. So, yeah. But but I kind of expected that, coming from, like, Mario, where, like, every there's the winter Mario level, and the lava Mario level, and the haunted house Mario level. It's it's just a series of, of that, and I don't know, I... It's got all the problems... Every, every problem people complain about ukulele is valid and true, 
and also I think that's just sort of endemic to the sort of game they were trying to make, and I, I dug what it was trying to do. But I'm I also recognize that people who expected them to update that formula, they they didn't at all. Yeah. As for Kickstarter, um, I kind of have always viewed Kickstarter as a great big trash can that I can throw money into and never see again. Uh, and which is not to say that like, I think Kickstarter games are bad at all, but like that when I back something on Kickstarter, I back it with the full expectation that nothing will ever come from it. Um, and then, you know, that is the healthy answer. Maybe sometime later on, I get a nice surprise. Uh, you know, I backed the long dark. It came out. Uh, I backed a game called the mandate. Uh, I don't think that game's ever coming out. They had a thing where the uh, the developer team, like like the half the team left, and they had a guy come in as the new producer, and like I was, we're gonna keep working on the game, you guys. Don't have anything more to show you. Okay, bye. And I haven't heard anything about that game for like six months. So, um, and I backed that game back like two years ago. Uh, you know, um, but I just recently backed this uh, game called Ancient Cities, which is like appeals to me on a this is kind of stuff that I'm interested level, um, where it's a game about like the beginning of urbanization and civilization, uh, and it's like a, a, a RTS sim kind of thing, and that sounds really cool, but like I I don't. You know, I, I have this thing in the back of my head where, like, okay, that money is gone. And, you know, if this game doesn't come out, I'll be disappointed. But I won't be disappointed because I feel like I threw my money away. Because I already feel like like I've already accepted that. I'll be disappointed on a level of, like, well, it sucks that that game never came to fruition. In the same way that I would be disappointed if the game sucked. Um, I'm trying... Where, oh, crap, I just closed it. Hold um, I had my list of back projects open, so I'm trying to see like how many of these are even games that exist. My most recent backing is, I think, either Cathedral in the Clouds, which is not out yet, um, That Dragon Cancer, or Night in the Woods. That's how far back... That's, that's the last time I stopped. Uh... It's been a while since I've backed anything on Kickstarter. Um, I think what we're seeing from my perspective... I, first of all, I agree with Josh... Um, Kickstarter is not an investment strategy. If you want that, go to Fig or alternately look or, for ways to be an angel investor. Don't um, go to Fig alternatively. I'm still super well, skeptical if you about want th- Fig's model, frankly. It, I, I agree, but if, if you're looking for that, go to Fig, go somewhere, yeah. or, or go be an angel investor. Go go set up something where you actually have equity. You have no equity with Kickstarter. You're just giving people money. Um, so... I agree with Josh that if you do kickstart anything, you're basically potentially lighting your money on fire and, and taking a risk, but that's the whole point. But I think what we're really seeing these days um, is the death of the idea that Kickstarter can save any game or even most games. I think, especially in the middle, the middle I think is the, the hardest part. If you're a very small game that only needs five, maybe 10 grand, you might be able to get it. If you're a big name game with big name developers that have like a pedigree that like, hey, I'm the guy that did beloved in 90s game so-and-so, and with me is three of the people that helped me make so-and-so game, and Gabe Newell's going to cameo in our video, and it's going to be great, and please give us money. That might be able to make its, you know, $2 million goal. Um, but the middle projects that need, you know, 100000 200000 500000 to, to, to cross that line, I think it's going to be harder for them these days. Yeah. And I think for even the smaller projects uh, that only require five ten thousand $10,000, a lot of them these days are just being funded on Patreon um, because these developers release smaller games and more quick iterations. I'm thinking of people that do Twine games or people that release, release uh, stuff on itch.io every other month. You know, so maybe not like six-month games or a year games, but, you know, two, three-month games or people that um, do often end up games. on something like... Okay, yes, that is a notable, famous, very successful example. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think Kickstarter really struggles as a as a concept because it really is it, it really doesn't facilitate. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. 
the promise of Kickstarter was that it was going to be able to help people who otherwise didn't have the means to do a project get the means to do their project. And what we're really seeing is it helps small teams that just need a very small amount of money, or it helps big teams that need a moderate amount of money, but it doesn't help people that need actual angel, angel investor level income, and it doesn't help people that are making super small stuff day to day. Um, it helps teams that are almost done push across the across the finish line, and it helps teams that are like, you know, again, big established names get that seed investment of money necessary to show the banks, hey, we raised two point five million dollars on Kickstarter. Yeah. Please give us an additional three million dollars to finish the and finish the game. Yeah, you have a lot of um, that, and that's really what it does and, now. And you have a lot of that, like playing like dual role of running a successful Kickstarter is a great way to get not free marketing, but easy marketing for your game um, and get your name out there as like, hey, we had this great big Kickstarter campaign and, and here we are now a couple years later and we got that game. And it's, it's again, this works best when you're dealing with nostalgia properties where everyone who's already a fan of established property or established person making a thing can then spread that out to the, to the wild and hit on Twitter and go, you guys, so-and-so that made game from the 80s, he's making a game again yeah. or she's making a game again. Let's all support it. And it becomes viral marketing that your, fan, your existing fans are doing. It doesn't really work for completely new IPs from completely unproven devs, even if you're all professionals with... Um, you know, a tremendous number of credits to your name. If you can't say I'm the guy who made X, if you just have to say, well, I was lead pro programmer on three really successful games, and we've got four artists that are all really established industry veterans. No one cares. No one's going to spread that word, and that's frustrating and dumb. But that's also just how Kickstarter works these days. So I think we're we are finally at a point where we know the limitations of that um of of the platform. Sorry, it's, I ran too much about Kickstarter. It's doing better than I expected it would. I was kind of like thinking like a couple years back, the first like big failure of a game that just doesn't like, like the devs run off and disappear and the game doesn't materialize at all is going to kill the platform. And it seems like that didn't really happen. Like it definitely, um, you know, dampened everyone's expectations of the platform and you don't get those like great big like... Uh, I made $3 million on Kickstarter in two days kind of campaigns anymore. But, um, you know, I, I was expecting it to crash and burn in some sort of crazy legal quagmire. And it seems like the Kickstarter guys have, have worked their way uh, out of that potential uh, hole. Uh, so, you know, like, I'm glad that it's still around. I mean, I still have a couple games in my in my donated list that have never materialized. Um, Sound Self is going to be a game. It's like ninety percent done. It was IG at IGF, but it's still not out there yet. So that's that's a thing. Um, Tangiers, stealth driven, dark twentieth century avant garde game uh, that does not exist at the moment. Um, Steve Swink's Scale, um, I'm still waiting for. Estimated delivery was uh, October of twenty fourteen. Um, it's now, it's now August of 2017. Uh, I keep getting updates from Steve Swink and his team. So I know the game is being worked on, but I don't know if scale is ever going to come out. I mean, that game is hugely influenced by portal and that's how old the game is. Um, yeah. what else? Um, I think, I think those are the only ones that really are, that are kind of showing their age. Like, Treachery and Beatdown City is almost going to be a thing soon. Um, I know they're still working on that. Overload just... Oh, Overload. That's the game I most recently backed. The the just uh, Descent game. The not Descent, Descent game by the people who brought you Descent. Which, again, shows you that, like, I'm willing to back that because I know those people. Is that the multiplayer one? They made Descent. No, that's that's the one that actually became Descent. Overload oh. is the one made by the guys who did the original Descent that is going to be more like a traditional Descent. Yeah. It's so confusing. Uh, let's go to another question here. Um, Dear Spods, are you watching Evo? Love, Ryu. Is Evo still going on right now? Uh, this was like No, that was like July. many weeks ago. Yeah. Well, Ryu, um, I'm sure you were watching Evo, or you were in Evo, playing your fighting. Um, that was a bad joke. I watched a little bit of Evo. Um, I'm a pretty big fighting game fan. I'm a very serious, competitive Sonic the Fighters player. 
That is my main game now. Um, 1v1 me any day. Except there's no online features for the port, I don't think. Um, but I think that um, this year was really good for Evo because we had um, Tekken 5 just came out, which is interesting because Tekken 5 has actually just been out in Japan for, I think, two years now. So if you think about that on a competitive really? huh. level... That's a huge dispar- disparity between players from Japan and everyone else getting their hands yeah. on this game and playing it. Um, so that's that was interesting this year. Um, and then the other kind of drama that I picked up was that like melee was melee finals were moved to Sunday or sorry Saturday instead of Sunday, and people were like, oh doesn't have priority because it doesn't have that big Sunday final. That's the most I caught of Evo um, outside of just generally watching people play it. And I really want to go. It's in Vegas, so I don't know why uh, you haven't been, Josh. Well, I kind of have a weird um, relationship with fighting games where I think they're really cool and I'd be really interested in, like, figuring out how to fucking play them, but I suck at them. Like, like really, on some fundamental level, like, cannot wrap my head around how to time stuff for combos and, and like, like do the right inputs at the right time. And this was a problem that you can, like, see me, like, when we did our Arkham seasons, the problem I had with Arkham Combat, where, like, you need specific timing, and I just, like, I cannot stop myself from button mashing. Um, I don't know why. And like, you can't like, you you can't really button mash in a fighting game. Uh, that's not how it works. Uh, so like I've tried learning how to play fighting games and I, I just cannot get it. I get like, I'm probably going to keep trying until I, you know, finally give up. But like it's a situation of like, because I don't understand, like, how the games work, I've never been able to play them properly, like, watching them, I don't get it. Um, so, like, like you know, people can pull off crazy, awesome moves in Street Fighter, and I can watch it and go, like, I don't understand what's happening. But you could get the general sense that something impressive is happening, which is, I oh, think, yeah, why it's such an cheering. easy game to watch well game genre my problem with getting into fighting games is not that i don't like them i like them a lot and not that i don't play them i i'm i've been off and on playing uh injustice 2 for the past couple weeks um my problem is that like as a 32 year old adult who plays video games i don't have any friends who also plays fighting games and that makes it hard to like have anyone of my skill level to fight, and I don't like fighting robots, so I end up just, like, wailing on easy AI. Because, like, I, I don't like losing... Like, it's fun when I'm losing to a friend, and we could go, ha-ha, I almost got you that time, let's go have a beer. It's a lot worse when I'm, like, just setting the AI to level 9 and then getting my ass handed to me, and it's like, all right, F this, I'm going to go do something more productive with my time. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just more difficult to lose to an AI to improve yourself versus playing with a friend to help improve yourself. Yeah. And, like, if I played with, like, my wife, I would just pound the crap out of her in a fighting game. But I don't know anybody else to help me raise my game. So I, like, Somebody I beat the story mode and then I do out some... of context on YouTube. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Damn it. You, Damn you're... it. Damn it. It, you definitely, like, fighting games are best when you are playing with friends in the same living room and, like, no one's really taking it too seriously. And But, like, just you take it seriously enough so everyone's having a good time. And then yeah. it's just kind right. of like you, you just keep playing and you just keep learning and you you maybe, like, work on one combo if you want, if you really want to, like one night at a time. It's just like, you can have fun with, you know, not doing anything crazy. It's sort of like how we've gotten, well, I mean, maybe not me, but Josh and Glitch definitely have gotten good at Overwatch just by, like, playing it so much together. And, like, I I don't have anyone to bounce off of like that. So I, I just, like, play fighting games through the story, and then I'm kind of like, 
Injustice has that loot system, which has kept me attached to it, which is probably unhealthy. But after after completing another realm story mission, I'm story mode. I'm pretty done. We oughta, you oughta, and I feel bad about that. We oughta hang out, and you can you can be my fucking trainer and teach me how to play fucking fighting games, and not suck. I, I the pro, part of the problem. Well, part of the problem is that fighting games, unlike like uh, Overwatch, really do rely on frame latencies right. to the point where online matches are not really viable. Like they're they're fun, but mm. I mean, Alex, what's your thoughts on playing like Street Fighter multiplayer on a random internet connection versus side by side? Oh, it's I've not had good experiences. Although, what I will tell you is that some games, um, I know. DOA 5 has this where um, you can simulate off uh, online lag in uh, an offline game. So you can essentially train for online frames um, without actually going online, which is like, what does that say about your game? But like, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, doesn't that kind of like completely ruin it when you go to like actually play in person somewhere where you're so used to like waiting four or five milliseconds more to hit the button? And it's it's odd because you'd think that like always like console versions would, um, console versions too would always be like the primary um, tournament or community game. But like I know for Tekken 5, it's actually most people are playing on PC, which again, to me, if you said that like 10 years ago, like. I'd be like, what? Yeah, like, Console that sounds weird. Yeah. Like, we, we've ha- kind of had a fighting game... I don't know if renaissance is the right word, because I don't think fighting games were ever big on PC before now, but, like, over the past five years, I've seen, like, PC ports of fighting games become way more relevant and popular. I played a bit of Rising Thunder, I think, when it was, like, in beta... Um, which is a fighting game designed to be played on PC, and it, it's pretty cool. It's got giant robots and stuff, and um, you play with a keyboard. Uh, unfortunately, that company is now bought out by Riot Games, and so we haven't heard anything about that game anymore. But mm. that was an interesting idea, which I would like to see explored a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should do a special stream. Josh learns how to play fucking fighting games finally. <laughs> You guys can give me advice that I fail to follow and can be frustrating for everyone. Yeah, it'd be jokes. Josh swears for two hours. <laughs> the Josh profanity stream. Well, I've got to get working on the Dishonored season, so I think that's all the time we have for this podcast. Wah, wah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for sticking around late into the night, Chris and Alex. Yay, I did a thing. Responsible adults. Um, we usually have something funny to go out on. Hey, hey, Campster. What? Hey, Campster. What? Say Spodcast. I really, we, I mean, is there really no better name? No. I... I, I swear to God, there's got to be a better nope, name. You you have dug this grave, and now you're like, going to lie is, in it. Is the joke now that it's named this podcast just to piss me off at Basically, this point? Like, I mean, at, hey, at one point, we were going to change it. But... I'd be fine with calling it the Ludo Narrative Dissonance cast, but, uh, you know, you'd have to be the one saying it. I would not. I would also not say that. So now you're trolling me. <laughs> Oh well, we could. You could invite Dan Olson on the podcast to say it instead, because now now he's doing the Ludo narrative dissonance videos. I'm slacking. I got to pick up the pace. You you mean you've got to pick up the pace to run away from it as quickly as possible because you hate that that became your shtick. It's not my shtick. You you decided it was my shtick. People the. The public at large decided it was your stick, Campster. I I feel like that's not true. I feel like somewhere along the line... I may have helped out a little bit. Something happened. But anyway, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Freaking goodbye, jerk. <laughs> 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 <laughs>